Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Well, good morning, church. Guys, I'm so glad that you have chosen to be with us this morning in the house of the Lord. Uh, my name is J.D. Lowry, one of our teaching pastors here. Also have the pleasure and honor and distinct privilege of overseeing our young adults and hanging out with them. Um, and so if you're a young adult, you're new here, I'd love to meet you. Or if you're just new here, young at heart perhaps, I would love to meet you as well. So glad that you're here this morning. Um, we are ending our top ten series this week. This is it. It's the end. You know what that means? Summer is coming to an end. Um, yeah. Guys, it's like, it's like 140 degrees outside. Like, it's, we, can, we can celebrate the coming of new things. Um, unfortunately, it probably will still be hot for a long time. Um, I've loved this series. Uh, it's been certainly very convicting for me. Uh, and, I mean, I've been so challenged by all the messages that have been preached, and I'm so thankful um, for Jason and Wes and Titus and all those guys who have been faithfully bringing the word to us this summer. But summer is coming to an end, and school is starting soon, and uh, students, are we excited for that? No? That was, that was the biggest letdown ever. Uh, let me tell you about my best day of high school. Uh, my favorite day of high school uh, was the day that I graduated. Can I get a good amen? Um, uh, I re- no, y'all don't make fun of me. All right, I remember I was in, I remember my graduation day. I was homeschooled, okay? Um, I was homeschooled, and you're like, you didn't have a graduation. I did. Um, I played on a homeschool basketball team, and yes, that does exist. Um, we had one, and we, all of the seniors on that team were like, let's have a graduation together. So, and I say we said that. Our moms said that together for us. They're like, we're going to have a graduation. And uh, so we did the graduation. There were like eight of us graduating, and I just got to say I was number eight in my class, all right? Like... Um, <laughs> And I remember the charge that was given um, by my father, actually, who's a pastor. He did the charge for the seniors. Um, And he gave us a charge, and he was talking about how um, what's been instilled in the graduates will carry on and will reveal itself in the future. Um, And I've recently recently been thinking about that. Like, what takes root in my heart does come out in my life. Um... Perhaps not everything that you are trying to instill in your children will take root, but everything that does take root, whether it's instilled by you or someone else, will reveal itself one day. It will come out. Oftentimes what manifests itself can be good things. You know, it can be faithfulness, it can be generosity, it can be consistency or dedication. It can be good things that manifest itself, and that stuff that's been taken root in your life. But also, we can... If we take an honest look at ourselves, we can see and observe that we have an ability to do evil, to think evil things, to commit sin, to do things we would have never expected. Perhaps the evil in our hearts has not manifested itself in a monumental way. Like, you know that you've sinned, but like we're going through these Ten Commandments and you're listening to it and you're like, well, I've never murdered anybody. Um, And, you know, maybe I've never slept with someone who's not my husband or my wife. Maybe you've never stolen anything substantial, like perhaps you've stolen company time, but you've never like embezzled, right? Um, Maybe you've, you know, never, maybe, I mean, I would argue that you've certainly lied, but maybe you've never perjured yourself, you know? Um, Maybe you've 
even crushed the commandment that talks about honoring the Sabbath, and you've been at church faithfully. You've been every single Sunday this summer, which is quite a feat and very impressive. Um, and maybe you think, I doubt it, but perhaps you think you've escaped this series without conviction. Um, well, <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, that's probably going to end today. Um, I would argue that if you're self-aware at all and honest with yourself, that today, as we talk about the 10th commandment, we will all walk out of this room recognizing that we're in, our sanctification process is not done. Um, Jen Wilkin talks about the Ten Commandments, and she says this, they progress from don't do it, to don't say it, to don't even think about it. And that's, that's where we're at today. Exodus 20, verse 17, it says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. <clears throat> you are faithful. You are consistent. And Lord, you've given us a top ten of things that we should live by, not even so that we can have salvation, but so that we can live a better life, a more fulfilling life. And Lord, you set up this standard that you know that we cannot reach, and then you reached it for us through Jesus. God, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for today. I pray for the hearts of everyone here, the souls of everyone here. Lord, I pray that you would open us up, open our minds, open our ears, open our eyes to see, to hear, to experience what you would want us to experience, Lord. Um, God, I pray that you would move in this room. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is such an interesting commandment, right? Don't covet. Um, and it's interesting because it's the only one of the commandments where... I can't observe you doing it. Like, you're, nobody can see you coveting. It's in your brain. Like, if I walked in, and I mean, let's see, who don't want to pick on? Let's say I walk in on Denny McFarland here, and he is in, say I walk through the, let's say he's in the office, and I walk through that door over there, and he's in the office, and I see him, and he's like in the corner, like whittling an image, like just whittling like a little, sh like, sh statue, and then he's planning to bow down and worship it. I'd be like, Denny, that's weird, man. Stop. Like, stop that. That's a, that's, a, that's a bad thing to do. That's against the Ten Commandments. Don't carve an image for yourself to worship. That's bad. Don't make idols. I observe that. I can see that that's wrong to do. But with this commandment, it's different. You know, I, um, my wife and I, we've been getting into a lot of, like, legal TV shows with, like, lawyers and stuff. Um, like, we've been watching Suits. We've also watched The Lincoln Lawyer. And, like, I'm not recommending shows from the pulpit here. I'm just saying I've been watching them, okay? Um, <laughs> one thing about these shows is, uh, you know, they, these lawyers, they interact with judges. And one thing about judges is that they can only judge on the evidence that's been presented to them. They're only allowed to judge the evidence that the lawyers bring up and present. Now, God is a good judge, and he's telling us not to covet. Here God is writing a law in which evidence cannot be presented. Like, I can't just say, well, you know, like, if so-and-so is thinking these things, God, I can't see that. I can't present that evidence. But somehow God still sees the evidence. See, God is a good and righteous judge. He will not judge something he cannot see. But the reality is, church, there is nothing that he cannot see. Here we learn a very chilling reality. The God... And see your thoughts. In Mark chapter 2, there's a story of Jesus 
um, healing a paralyzed man, and the Pharisees were there. It's also found in Luke 5. The Pharisees Pharisees were there, and they were, you know, thinking to themselves about Jesus, and Jesus is looking here at this guy, and he's like, son, your sins are forgiven, and they're like, who can forgive? They're thinking in their brain, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, it says, Scripture says, he discerned their thoughts and said, is it more impressive, is it more crazy for me to say, Son, your sins are forgiven, or for you to for me to say, son, take up your bed, rise, and go home. Because he saw their thoughts. Psalm 139, 1 and 2. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. See, God sees your thoughts. He sees your desires. He knows what you think about as you're falling asleep. He knows the the fantasies that that only you experience and only you know about. He knows what takes place in your brain. He knows what takes place in my brain. Nothing is hidden from God. And all of these commandments are important to the Lord, and he will judge them all. See, God does care about our outward behavior, but he knows that it begins with an inward posture. See, I think there are two reasons, ultimately, that God ended his top ten list with an inward command. I'm going to tell you one right now at the front end of the sermon. I'm going to tell you another at the back end. But the first one is this. He ended the the ten with an inward command for you to realize that ultimately he is not just seeking to change your behavior. He is seeking to change your heart. See, we can correct behavior, but heart transformation is more important. Well, J.D., I can't control my heart. I can't control my thoughts. Can I just go off on this, church, just let me go off on this just for a second, okay? The fact that you can't control, or the thought that you can't control your thoughts or your heart. Um, The world tells us that, right? It's like you are who you are, and you can't change. Um, You know, the world says do whatever we want. Eat whatever we want. Sleep with whoever you want to. Believe We are whoever we want to believe that we are, or whatever we are in some cases. Live your truth. That is the gospel that the world teaches. Live your truth. And the attitude that this world prescribes is, I can't fight the urge to do whatever it is I want to do. It's who I am. It's what I do. This is is how I live my life. And in a lot of things, we're, we're talking about behavior here. And God is commanding us to control our thoughts, to control our heart. Hear me. We who are in Christ, are capable of controlling our heart, of controlling our mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And watch this, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Some translations say, take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. This is Paul telling people, hey, grab control of your brain. You drive it, it doesn't drive you. Paul is urging us to take every thought captive. If you're in Christ, you have the ability, and I would say the authority to command your soul. You have a responsibility to align yourself, your reactions, your words, and your thoughts with the will of God. Psalm 103 verse 1 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And I remember whenever I used to read this verse, I would think to myself, like, okay, this is like David saying, bless the Lord, oh, oh my soul. Like, he's just like, oh, my soul. No, he's, he's commanding his soul. 
He's saying, bless the Lord, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his name. He's commanding his soul. He's not just saying like, well, oh my, oh me, bless the Lord. You know, bless your heart. He's not, it's not one of those things. He's saying like, I'm commanding myself to make much of God. David is literally telling his heart to align with his God. And I fear many times we tell our God to align with our heart. That's what the world does. We, we stand here before a perfect, righteous, holy, powerful, almighty, all, like, all-encompassing, all-omnipresent, omniscient God, and we tell him, hey, could you change what you feel about certain things? Because it doesn't necessarily line up with my thoughts on how things ought to be. And instead of looking at us and saying, well, you know what? We don't really align with how he would have us live, so why don't I adjust myself to bless the Lord? There are churches that have bought into this lie, right? And they, they exist out there, and they've bought into a couple of lies, and they'll affirm things that aren't true, they, but they bought into a couple of lies. Number one, that God's morals are movable. God's morals are immovable. And number two, you cannot control yourself. Also, not true. See, God does not and cannot move the goal line. And we as a church, we reject the idea and the assertion that if you are in Christ, you cannot control yourself. After all, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And if we're walking with Jesus and he, the Spirit dwells within us, you absolutely have the power to control yourself. The commandment does address several things, though, that I do want to break down. Since we have control of our minds, and that's something we need to establish, we have control of our minds, and God cares about what's in our brain, the first thing that we need to not covet is this, possessions. Possessions are the first thing we need to not covet. It says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, and then later it says, or his ox or his donkey. The question has to be asked first off, who is my neighbor? And Jason covered this a bit last week. Basically, anybody that's not you. Simple enough. Anybody that's not you, you see them, you're like, oh, that's, I see them. They're not me. That's my neighbor. Um, and that's how scripture look at it. Anybody you come into contact with, it doesn't have to be directly next door or across the street. It's anybody. You look around here, they're, you're surrounded by neighbors. And God is telling his people that they should not be dwelling on or thinking about how they wish they had what someone else had. What does it mean to covet? Well, I would say this. You may want a house. And that's not a sin to want a house. Like, it's not a sin to want something. But here's the question I would ask. Are you always thinking about something that you don't have and that you want? Like, do you pop on Zillow multiple times a day seeing if the market's changed? It, it hasn't. Like, <laughs> like, are you going over to other people's homes and wishing that you lived there? Like, instead of them, not with them. You know, like, just like, like, I wish this was my house. Like, is that a thought that you have? Are you riding in other people's cars and daydreaming about what it would be like to own one like it? If you are, I would challenge you and encourage you to search your heart. Because if I am desiring something more than Jesus, that means the Lord is not my portion. And I want something more. I, like, can I just be honest with you? This one is really close to home for me. Um, I fight this struggle all the time in my life. I'm fighting it right now as, as I'm speaking to you. 
See, I would, I would love to have a house. We live in an apartment, right? Like, I would love to, but, like, you know, they cost, like, a billion dollars right now. Um, and so, like, who can afford one of those? And people all the time are like, gosh, I'm so glad I'm not trying to enter the market right now. I'm like, thank you. That's, <laughs> thank you. That's really encouraging. Um, and Art and Claire, but here's the deal. Art and Claire and I, we have a super nice apartment. We love it. It's perfect for us, for what we need. It's perfect for this season of our lives. Um, but there are times I find myself dwelling on how awesome it would be to have that next step, to move that next rung up on the ladder, to do that next thing. But the funny part is, is I can remember not that long ago when I would have just loved to be in a situation where I was, I had a roof over my head that was my own. I had a wife that loved me and I loved very much and we had a baby on the way. And I, I would have thought, man, that life couldn't get any better than that. And so somehow I think to myself, once we get a house, there's going to be something else. There's going to be the next thing that I want, and I'm just like, oh, if I could just have that thing. See, because unlike God's standard and his morals, our baseline for contentment moves, and it is always moving away from us. I remember whenever I was 10, thinking, <laughs> some of you will laugh at you, some of you will relate to this. I remember when I was 10, just thinking, if I could just get $100, I could have whatever I wanted. Like, I mean, I, listen, we can, we can make some things happen with 100 bucks. Like, I remember thinking that at 10. I was like, gosh, I could get whatever video game. I could get three of whatever video game. I am set if I could just get $100. <clears throat> it's funny. Jen Wilkin, I mentioned her earlier, she says that we often struggle with contentment because we struggle worshiping the idol of the ideal. Like, we are conditioned to want things to be ideal. We are conditioned to want things to be bigger and better. And if we could just get, better, get it bigger and better, then that would be ideal. And that would be awesome. And I, could, I, would just, I would have everything that I need. But it's not true. Do you know that there are a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people, and some of you, this is your job as well, um, whose only job is to make you less content with what you actually have. Um, in 2019, Forbes, they did a, a, a study, and they found out that the global marketing industry was worth about $1.7 trillion. And that was in 2019. You can only imagine it's grown since then. People whose only job is to show you an ad or marketing campaign or strategy or whatever and convince you that what you got ain't good enough. <clears throat> a massive industry. And we buy it, we bite it, hook, line, and sinker. It gets us. We find ourselves dwelling on houses or cars or phones or boats or, or guitars or guns or, or whatever is your thing. You find yourself dwelling on it and looking it up and checking on Facebook Marketplace to see if there's any good deals out there. Or, or just staring at Amazon like, oh man, I thought that, those shoes are cool. Or just like doing all these things, wanting this stuff. We find ourselves declaring that we need more space or we, my truck needs more power or my phone needs to be faster or my shoes are a bit scuffed up, so I need new ones. Can I just tell you something, church? I think we've cheapened the definition of the word need. See, the way I've always, uh, way I've always understood it is if I need it, I was going to die if I didn't get it, right? Like, I need water, I I don't need a million dollars. I need air. I, 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 don't, I don't need 
like a, a soda. I need food. I don't need a Wagyu steak, right? I need fajitas. Who doesn't, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with having a bigger house, and there's nothing wrong if you can afford it and you want a nice car. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having the things that you enjoy. But we're lying to ourselves if we declare that we need it. I may want a house, and I hope we have one someday. I hope we can afford one. But my, for now, my one, if, if my one-bedroom apartment is the best thing that the Lord ever decides to give me to live in, I have to be okay with that. And I have to be content with that and recognize that the Lord knows better than I do, right? He's eternal. I'm 28. Like, he gets it. <laughs> Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> he says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, maybe you don't have everything you want, but believer, church member, Christian, if you're in Christ, you do have everything that you need. Next thing we're commanded not to covet is this, relationships. It says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Now, this one is so, many from, so real for so many of us on so many levels. Maybe you're single in here and you just want a spouse so bad. You want a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. You want a relationship. You crave connection, and you just crave that so much. And you may just desire to not feel alone. And can I just say, that's not a bad desire. It's not bad to want relationship. It's not bad to want a spouse or husband or a wife. What is bad is when you crave it so much that you're just scrolling through social media for hours and hours out of the day, swiping through Tinder, just looking to find whatever you hope is out there for, you, for yourself. When it just consumes your day, is this desire consuming you? It can be a relational thing that we crave, and it's not bad to, have, to want relationship, it's bad for it to consume you. It can be a relationship, but it can also be a sexual thing that you've allowed to grow and to fester so much that it's consuming you as well. If you're dwelling in sexual sin, desiring other people that are not your spouse, that's bad. It's not good, not even in terms of just like the standard that God has set. It's, it's bad for our hearts, and it affects every aspect of our lives. Hear me, sex is not a bad thing. Can I get an amen on that? Like, sex is good. Yeah, sex, yeah we're at, um, it's not bad. It's sin if it goes outside the boundaries that God has set, which is one man, one woman in covenant marriage. When it exceeds those boundaries, that's when it becomes harmful. That's when it becomes sin. Some of us may desire a different marriage than the one that we're in. I've seen it so many times, and I, sometimes I, I like laugh to keep from crying about how sad this is. I've seen it so many times that like multiple men in my life, and in, in ministry that have, they've gone on and they've abandoned their wife, their children, for another woman. 
And if you ask them, they would blame their divorce on that woman. Like, they would say, you know, they just didn't love her anymore, or she wasn't the same woman she used to be. But the most frustrating part about this for me, just watching from the outside looking in, I'm venting to you, church, right now. The most frustrating part is that they will go get a new girlfriend, a new wife, and they will just lavish upon her everything she could ever want. They will pursue her. They will love her. They will post about her on Facebook and Instagram and all the things. They just make so much of this woman. And I find myself thinking, man, if they had given half this much effort in their last marriage, they might not have destroyed the family. Guys, if I can encourage you, talk to you man to man. Women, stop looking for greener pastures and start watering your own lawn. Focus on your marriage. Men, if you're in a marriage that you feel like is on the ropes, please don't you dare capitulate and just think this is, well, this is just how it is. It doesn't have to be that way. Hear me. This is going to get challenging. Uh, Stop looking at porn. Stop daydreaming about other women. Go home, love your wife, take her on a date, love her, serve her, and see if that doesn't change your marriage. Yeah, but the sex isn't what it used to be. You know? Like, well, can I just tell you this? Brother, I tell you this because I love you, I fear God, and I, have, I feel a burden for your wife. Uh, first off, there's two, two sides to that coin. Uh, secondly, if you stop looking at porn, stop daydreaming about other women, go home, love your wife, take her on a date, love her and serve her, see if that doesn't change your marriage, and see if that doesn't change your sex life. It will. And if, even if you're like, ah, oh, this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's only been married for a couple years, he doesn't get it. Whatever, JD, um, you're still young. Listen, I just dare you to try. Just give it a shot and see what happens. What do you have to lose? And you may say, J.D., I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm not, praise God for that. I haven't cheated on my husband. Praise God for that. But what if we raise the bar a little bit? God, Jesus is always in, in the place of raising the bar. Um, because there's danger if we don't raise the bar. Like no man sets out in a marriage, no woman sets out in a marriage with the intention to tank their marriage. Everybody wants it to work. I, you know, I'm in ministry, and I'm so heartbroken so often when you look out and you hear about the Big C Church and all these pastors that fail and, and lose their ministry because of moral failure. And I'm always, like, super convicted by that, but also, like, super, like, challenged within myself because I'm like, I promise you those guys didn't start out thinking, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to build this, this following, and then I'm just going to destroy it all. Like, nobody does that. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I can never do, never do what they just did. But those people never thought that they would do what they just did. It starts in your heart. That's what we've been called to do. We raise the bar. Why does it happen? Why does this sin take place? James 1, 14 and 15 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you allow desire to fester in your mind, it will grow into sin, which will bring forth death. And death in this connotation is talking about a separation. If you allow sin to fester in your marriage, it will bring about death, which is separation between you and your spouse. We have to address sin. J.D., it sure seems like you're going after the guys today. Um, and I, love, I do this because I'm a guy and I, I love you guys, but I also want to call you up to a higher standard. But also, Scripture is kind of going after the guys if you think about it. Because it says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. 
Now, I know women are more than capable of leaving their husbands and ruining their families. I get that. But I, it's very rare that you see a, a, a flawed marriage that has a perfect man. It, it's, it never happens, right? Like, you never see a flawed marriage with a perfect man. It, like, there's always an issue. It's, there's not a perfect woman. Either. There's nobody perfect. But there's, I think there's something specific here where if, you, if the men would step up and say, I'm going to take charge in my house. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to put my self-satisfying desires aside. And I'm going to die for my family. I think we would see a difference in our world. Don't desire another marriage. Do not desire another wife. Love and serve your own. Next. We shouldn't covet position or influence. It says this, or his male servant or his female servant. Don't covet a neighbor's servants. Now, perhaps, um, perhaps you're like, well, we don't really have servants, J.D. Um, that's kind of, it's kind of old school. I get that. I don't have servants either. Um, I think this is really speaking to a position or a place of influence. Like, maybe you wish that you were in charge of your company or of the place, like, the place you work or you were a little higher up in school. I don't know. Maybe you wish you were in a position that somebody else is in. You wish you were the one commanding and telling others how it is. To that, I would say, something I've told myself before, if God wanted you in charge, he he would put you in charge. Like, he would put you in that position. I remember in different ministry positions that I've been in, I, I wish things were maybe differently. Like whenever I first graduated college, I knew how to do ministry, right? Like I was, man, like I was ready, all right? And here I am, find myself at an intern at this church in the student ministry, and I'm like, man, I could, I could do this thing. Like what, 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 what is, I'm making phone calls? What is this? Like let me do some ministry, right? Like that's what I thought. And, like, we would do things, and I was like, man, I wish we did it differently. And I have these thoughts, like, oh, man, like, I wish, like, I could change this. And I remember telling myself, J.D., if God wanted you to be the student pastor of this church, he would have made you the student pastor. He would have done it. And then I transitioned to a different position in the church, and I began to serve the pastor, and I would do sermon research for him, and I would make him coffee on Sunday mornings, and that was my role. And there were times, I, you know, I was like, man, I wish I could do more. And God was like, oh, if, you want, if I wanted you to be the pastor of this church, I would have made you the pastor of this church. And I would look out at other friends in ministry, and they're off doing cool stuff, and they're standing in pulpits preaching to people and doing ministry. And I'm like, man, here I am making coffee and working on sermon illustrations for other people's sermons. And here I am, just nobody knows anything about it. I'm just here. And God's like, if I wanted you there, I would have put you there. I put you where I put you on purpose. You know, maybe, I realize you guys aren't all pastors. That's, that's my personal experience. But maybe you can apply that to your own life where you think to yourself, like, there's times I wish I had the influence that somebody else had. I wish that I could do what somebody else was doing. Or I wish I had the job that that person has and the thing I just want to tell you is similar to the thing we said about the marriage thing. Water your, water your lawn. Serve where you're planted. Walk in faithfulness. Hebrews 12 says this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since, I, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, my race is set before me. Your race is set before you. And we're not running our race when we're looking to the lane to our right or to our left. If we want to run with endurance, we run our race that is set before us with our eyes fixed on none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's what he's called us to. Next, anything, don't covet anything that you desire that is not yours. It says this, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is super simple and kind of a catch-all commandment right here. But if you find yourself dwelling on anything that is not yours or longing for it, there's a better way for you to spend your time. Um, I love the story in Mark chapter 5. Jesus has just crossed the lake with his disciples, and they get out of the boat, and getting out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they just kind of look out, and they see this demon-possessed man (laughs) running at them. And you can imagine, I mean, how how wild that was, like, they're just getting out of the boat, and then this guy, ah! like, that's probably not, that's disconcerting, um, you can imagine. This guy has been a dude, he, he's possessed, tormented by demons, he lives in the graveyard. This is a creepy dude, right? He, he it says that he cries day and night, just always wailing, always crying, and he cuts himself with rocks, always in pain, always tormented. It's said that he's so strong because of the, the possession that shackles can't hold him. He breaks every chain that is placed on him. And he runs to Jesus and he throws himself before Jesus. These are the demons doing this, throwing themselves before Jesus. Which, just to let you know, we serve a God that demons throw themselves before Jesus. All right, That's pretty cool. He throws himself before Jesus and he says, please don't torment me. That's the Jesus that you serve. I'm just saying, he's pretty awesome. So he does that. And Jesus casts out the demon, sends them into some pigs. They run down. They all die into, into the lake. They all fall off this cliff into the lake. They all drown. And this guy is free. This guy's been set free. The whole town is freaking out about it. They're crazed. They're like, this is nuts. This dude was crazy. And now he's free. And it says this at the end of this account. In verse eight, Mark 5, 18 through 20, it says this. And as he was getting into the boat, this being Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to this, said, him, said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. See, here's a guy who had absolutely nothing. Here's a guy who lived in a graveyard, was cutting himself with rocks, was crying, wailing day in, day out, could not, found no relief anywhere, and he's been set free by Jesus. Jesus healed him, gave him freedom, and told him to go declare, not about what he didn't have, but go and declare about what he did have. It would be a wrong application of this text to think, well, I'm supposed to, Jesus has set me free. And he has. If you're in Christ, he sets you free in a radical sort of way. The wrong application would be for me to leave church today and then go and tell everybody about all the things I wish I had but didn't. Church, we have been given so, so much. And the application that Jesus gives this man is go home and tell every, everybody about what God has done for you. Not about what he hasn't done. If you're in Christ, God has done plenty for you. 
Go and tell the world about what he has done for you. How ridiculous is it? And would it be for the outside world to be looking in at a church that is ungrateful and only talks about the things that they wish they had, but they don't? The, the people looking outside that don't know Jesus are going to look in at us and be like, well, I don't want what you got if it doesn't fulfill you. I don't want Jesus if he's not your portion. He's not good enough for you. Why would he be good enough for me? Church, he's got to be good enough for us. We need to go proclaim about what we have, not what we don't. But J.D., this is hard. How do we combat this feeling of wanting something more? How do we combat this feeling of desire and dwelling in these things in our hearts and minds? How do we combat this? Well, I have one answer for you. And it's this. We need to do what that possessed man did, and we need to throw ourselves before Christ and bow down before him. We need to surrender to Jesus. We need to recognize that we don't have to be a slave to the desires of our heart. We can command our soul. And if you surrender to your life to Jesus, he will save you. If you get up each morning and dedicate your day and life to Jesus and declare that Jesus to be the one who has ownership in your life, you may find that you're less likely to live in the affection for the things of this world. It's that daily walk with Jesus. When you daily fill your life up and just recognize that Jesus is better than the things of this world. I once heard a, heard a story about a man. He was touring through India and he was walking down the street. And he looked over and he saw just a herd of elephants. Massive, huge, big old elephants all standing around this tree. And he began to look at the elephants because they're so close. But he was like, they're not going anywhere. They're just standing there. He was confused by it. And then he looked down at their feet and he saw that on each of their feet, one of, each of the elephants had one of their feet tied around with just like some twine, not even rope, just like twine, not chain, just twine, tied around their leg, extending to a little tree, not a big tree, a little tree. They, all these elephants, like 16 elephants tied up to this tree with twine. And he was so confused by this. He was like, they could just break this twine. They could uproot that tree they could go and they're just standing around here and he's looking at it puzzled and long enough and this guy came up to him who happened to be the elephant trainer and he said he, he was like hey man well, how's it going the guy was like well why are these elephants all standing here and the guy was like well i get them as babies and i tie that twine around their legs and i tie it to that tree and they can't break it they're not strong enough yet and they stay tied and then as they grow older they still think they can't break the twine. They still think they can't break the tree. They're trapped. See, there's a reality here. And can I just say this? There's a fact that some of us in here are spiritual elephants in this room. And we've been called by Jesus and we've been walking with him long enough that we're able to break through the chains. We're able to break through the rope. Not even because of who we are, but just because of Christ living in us. You're able to uproot trees. But we're all standing around. But, well, because that thing used to have me captive. And it still does because we're afraid to, to just run and just see what happens. We are free to leave. You are free to leave. I believe you can do it. When you surrender and whenever you continue to surrender your life to Jesus... Time over time, you will begin to grow in your faith and in your spiritual strength. And that gives you the strength to break through the sin that's been holding you down. Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. 
If you grow big enough not be held down by sin, you need to quit being a slave to that sin and instead become a slave to Jesus, become a slave to righteousness. See, there is hope, there is freedom found in the gospel. Now, hope that freedom is not solely meant for your eternity. It's meant for here and now as well. See, the strength that is found in staying rooted in the gospel, there is so much strength found in that. And this is why we preach the gospel week in and week out. Because you never, 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 you never, 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 never outgrow your need for the gospel. Don't you ever just simply think that the gospel is just the way that you get saved. And then you, you think that, and then please don't just go on thinking that that's how you get saved, and you get strong by leaving it and doing something else. That's not how we get strong. We get strong by staying rooted in the gospel. We are strengthened by God through the gospel in every moment of your life until you die, you need to stay rooted in the gospel. You cannot break the addiction apart from daily preaching the gospel to yourself. You cannot break that twine. You can't break anything. If you're not daily preaching the gospel to yourself, reminding yourself of who Jesus is and the fact that he's already broken that chain. He's the one who saves you eternally and he's the one who sets you free here on earth. I stated earlier that God ended his top ten with an inward command for two reasons. The first one was he ended the 10 with an inward command for you to realize that ultimately he's not just seeking to change your behavior, he's seeking to change your heart, and that's true. The second one is this. He wanted you to realize that even if you followed all of the commandments to this point and didn't break a single one, you are still not perfect, and it's impossible to follow these perfectly. See, you cannot follow the law perfectly because you cannot be good enough. J.D., did God make a law that we can't follow because he hates us? No, the law would exist whether or not he told it to us. If I went, say I didn't know the speed limit of Chisa, and I started driving down the road 100 miles an hour, does my knowledge of the law affect whether or not the law exists? No. God's law existed whether he told it to us. The fact that he told it to us is grace, so that we know that we can't uphold the law. Galatians 3, 10 through 14 says this. This is our last passage for the day. It says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because a curse, because by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Church, if you sat through this whole series, listening to commandment after commandment after commandment, taking good notes, because you're thinking, if I can just follow these commandments, I'm set. I'm going to be fine. If I can just do all these good things, whenever I stand before God, he'll say, well, you tried to follow the commandments. If you don't 100% follow the commandments, you've 100% broken the commandments. We, could, we cannot, we could not, we never can uphold this law and live it out perfectly. Is that an excuse to stop trying? No, we still try, but not because we're trying to earn salvation, but because it's good. It's good. That's God's, that is God's standard for living. It's a good standard. 
but it is not your salvation. You cannot fulfill this law. Scripture talks about if you try to stay under the law, you're cursed by the law because you can't fulfill it. But praise the Lord because God saw us in our affliction. He saw me cruising down the road 100 miles an hour and he said, I can punish this man or I can punish another who didn't do that. And that was Jesus. See, because he has an option as a judge. He has to pour out his wrath on whoever committed the sin. And that's what he has to do. But Jesus came down here to earth, lived a perfect life in my place. He's cruising down the road at 30 miles an hour, living perfectly. And when he pulled up and he saw me sitting in front of a police car, probably about to go to prison, he walked up to the policeman and said, hey, I wasn't the break in the law. This guy was. Why don't you take me to jail instead? And then the, the police officer looks at me and says, hey, does that work for you? Are you okay if I take this guy in your place? That's what it means to follow Jesus, for him to take your punishment from a righteous judge because you've broken the law and you need a savior. And I've got good news for you today. If you don't know Jesus and you came in here today and you're like, man, I just want to be a good person, I'm telling you, you cannot be a good person, but you can be a person that has a relationship with Jesus, and that's what it takes to have eternal life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you don't know Jesus today, I pray that today would be the day. We're about to sing a song. There's going to be people in the prayer corner. They would love to talk to you about what it means to accept Jesus and how to receive that forgiveness that he has for you. Church, has been a great series, but do not leave this series thinking that it's all about whether or not you can keep laws. Please leave this series recognizing that you can't but Jesus did. Now you can have life. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you for all that you've done. Um, Lord, we praise you for the Ten Commandments that you've shared that law with us so that we can recognize that ultimately we can't fulfill it. But Lord, thank you even more that you knew the standard and you knew that we broke it, and yet you still died for us on that cross and took our place. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not have a relationship with you that they would surrender today, that today would be this day of salvation. Lord, we love you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.